going on, y'all? Unexpected points. Kevin Cole here. Uh, apologies to those listening. I'm sending out a little tweety Twitter tweet here, a post, I should say. We've got to get into the X, the X nomenclature here. Saying jumping on the YouTube stream, uh, taking questions. Week five TNF review. This is exciting. This is the probably the best podcasting that's ever been done in the history of podcasting here. Okay, but I'm live streaming him, so what the hell? All right, anyway, hope uh, everyone's doing well. I'm not sure how many of you made it to the end of last night's thrilling uh, Commanders Bears matchup. I did not, but I did make it through the first half. And what I think is interesting about this one is we probably were expecting a little bit less uh, offensive fireworks than we got. Uh, but you dig underneath and, you know, maybe things are a little bit less impressive for the Bears. I don't want to be hating on the Bears here because I know the Bears fans have been in a uh, a desert in terms of offensive quarterback play for quite a while now. I mean, what are we saying? Jay Cutler, uh, back when you had the Brandon Marshall, Alshon Jeffrey combo thriving, was that kind of like the last time? That we could that we could say there was like some good uh, quarterback play. Let, let, let's look at Jay Cutler. I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up here. I, think, I, I remember that was like a that was a good fantasy season, very least back when I was pretty much uh, only caring about fantasy football. So what year are we talking about here? Um, twenty. Let me see. Well, 2014. Boy, talk about guns, gunslinger here. He led the league with 18 interceptions. But then it also had 28 touchdowns. So that's not too bad. So is that the one we're talking about, 2014? No, he's only 5-10 and 10 that year. Um, well, maybe that was it, though, despite the fact that they were 5-10. and 10. Let me let me look up the stats here for the wide receivers. I think this is the last time that I enjoyed. Uh, yeah, that probably was. Although Brandon Marshall, not so great here. But Alshon Jeffrey, 145 targets, 85 receptions, 13.3. Yards per reception, 10 touchdowns. Man, I remember I was so high on Alshon Jeffrey back then. I thought the guy was going to be such a stud. And then, I don't know, maybe injuries sapped his um, his explosiveness a bit there. But then he never was really the same after coming over to Philadelphia, despite the fact that he lasted there a long time. One of Howie Roseman's few bad decisions kind of – well, they signed him to the one-year big contract, which I'm, I don't know if I really like the one-year prove-it deal because then you're stuck – as a franchise, if they do well, you got to resign them for a big number. And if they don't do well, then you you let them go. Um, so they're kind of stuck. I think they franchised him and then had to bring him back. And he was a little bit of a of an albatross there. But uh, yeah, I have fond memories of this of this old the Bears squad. Oh well, yeah, they went eight and eight in 2013, and that's when people were kind of high on Tr- Mark Tressman. Remember, people were high on Mark Tressman. Yeah, that was really the year. Now I'm looking at it here. 2013. I'm saying this last year of fun kind of Bears football, even though it was eight and eight. <laughs> eight and eight that season. Maybe Mitch Trubisky. Do people really buy into Trubisky, though? I don't know about that. Uh, but yeah, so the, the eight and eight year. This was a fun year. Matt Forte, Martellus Bennett, Alshon Jeffrey, Brandon Marshall. Alshon Jeffrey and Brandon Marshall combined for 189 catches. And let's see here, 13 plus 14, 2,700 yards and 20 touchdowns. It's pretty fun. Pretty fun year there. Um, I mean, not like it was great efficiency from Cutler, but that was probably the most fun I think we've had 
uh, as uh, our Bears fans would have had in a while there. And we're getting some passing numbers from Justin Fields. Um, if you look at the the write-up that I put together for the advance review, I mentioned in here that for Fields, this isn't his the what this wasn't his biggest game in terms of expected points added for any play so far. And but it was like a big number overall in the context of how much of it came from passing. He actually had, had even more passing EPA last week, which was, again, was an under the radar thing that I thought was a big positive for the bears, even though they lost last week, he actually had more positive passing EPA last week, but this week he also adds added some rushing goodness. He had six expected points on the ground, uh, 14 and a half in the air. Now the time he's had more in total, cause he had 17.5 total here. Um, because he had some negatives in sacks there. So he did have more. He had 19.1 week nine, 2022 against the Miami Dolphins. But 16.2 of that 19.1 came from scrambling and from design runs. So that was the Justin Fields, kind of the mirage, I would say, um, that we saw last year in some of these performances where people were talking about him, him doing some stuff that looked sustainable last year. I mean, not really. You know, 17, 16, 17 EPA on design runs and scrambles. That's that's not sustainable. Uh, but this performance was much better. You know, six six on the ground, and then um, you net out the sacks and everything, and we get to 11 and a half through the air. Eh, that's not bad. 0.41 EPA per play. Pretty good. Pretty good there for Justin Fields. So let's 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 give him his flowers, as they like to say. Um, but overall, my numbers are a little bit less optimistic on the bears performance last night than the final score. And this is commonly the case. So this is not like a, just a bears thing because normally you have teams where the turnover, and we all, we hear about all the time, you know, who wins the turnover advantage wins the game. So turnover is a big thing. Third and fourth down conversions are the other big thing. Commonly the team that wins those two categories, which are not the most sustainable, but they're in their higher leverage, um, higher variance type of categories. Typically they win the game. And that was the case in this game last night. Third and fourth down advantage was huge because of big plays on third down for the bears. Their conversion rate was actually pretty mediocre, right in line with the expectation. And so was the commanders, but they made huge, huge plays, especially on that first drive. The two big plays to DJ Moore on the first drive were both on third down. They had a combined, advantage on third down here of over 17 expected points so huge huge so i probably discount them a little bit too heavily on that because the discounting comes in the form of uh like a conversion rate higher than expectation where they didn't really have that it was more just the, the big plays here but they did have a nine epa advantage in turnovers and you know how is kind of a turnover machine sometimes he was against the bills at least so yeah, there's probably some sustainability there. Um, but if you just look at pure offensive success rate in this game, and for the Bears, it's this is just EPA per play, EPA per, no, sorry, just EPA on individual plays, whether or not it's above zero or not. Now, the Bears had a kind of normal game script with huge leads, so they didn't pass it a whole lot in this game. Um, Justin Fields, I mean, not tiny amount, but Justin Fields had what here? 43 plays that he was a part of. That's not bad. Uh, but the commanders, holy moly, commanders here. Eric Bieniemy 
is just running the Chiefs offense, except for with Sam Howell. <laughs> and, and you're losing all the time. So, I mean, not all the time, but you're losing a lot. You're down. You're playing from behind a lot. So, you're just passing the ball. They're just slinging the thing. Uh, 91.2% drop back rate. So, Brian Robinson, six carries for 10 yards, and then they're like, ah, the hell with that. <laughs> We're not doing that anymore. And I, I appreciate it. Um, highest dropback rate for any team since week three of 2021 when the Eagles, surprisingly, shockingly, the Eagles and Jalen Hurts did it 91.4% of the time. So slightly higher. Um, but still a huge, they were 18% above expectation. So they were down a lot, which forces them to throw a lot, but they still did it even more than expectation. I mean, they weren't able to run the ball. They're playing against a defense that shouldn't be able to generate that much pressure. I mean, they got five sacks, but of course, some of those are on Hal, and some of them are on the fact that he dropped back to pass, you know, 63 times in this game. Um, his sack rate is actually low compared to normal. Five sacks and 60-something dropbacks is good for him. Um, but, you know, the run defense was much better, so I think they they made a logical choice here. And again, they had a higher success rate this game. But the turnovers and the especially the big plays for the Bears were just enormous. I mean, if you look at like success rate, just look at passing success rate because commanders couldn't run for shit. Uh, passing success rate for the Bears, it was 36%. For the commanders, it was 46%. You know, lots of big plays in there. Big plays count, but the Bears, you know, not exactly looking highly functional passing the ball, I don't think either outside of those big plays. Uh, DJ Moore, DJ Moore is the story of the game. Fantasy, breaking fantasy things. Uh, I'm a, I, I take a huge L if I was in the fantasy tout business because i was definitely lower on dj moore coming into this year with the bears last year uh sending passing offense back to you know 1974 or something like that with how often and how much they were passing last year and how much yards they were accumulating this year much much better they're actually starting to get into it. Now, it's almost all DJ Moore in this game, though. Eight catches, 230 yards, three touchdowns. Um, 21.3 expected points added when he was targeted 10 times. That's a ridiculous amount. Uh, the Bears lost 3.7 expected points on 15 targets to other receivers. So that gives you an idea of how it was just like big plays to DJ Moore and nothing else. If you look at the most impactful plays of the game for the Bears, it goes... Uh, DJ Moore touchdown in the fourth quarter, the one where it was kind of mostly run after the catch there, uh, highest EPA. Then the first quarter, third and nine conversion for 58 yards on the first drive is second. Then uh, Justin Fields to DJ Moore touchdown on that first drive on third and 14 uh, is next. Then Justin Fields to DJ Moore touchdown on third and six um, in the second quarter. Uh, then we started getting some other stuff. Khalil Herbert, Khalil Herbert sneaks in there and then two more passes to DJ Moore uh, for 39 yards and, and 32 yards. So he basically has all the big plays are going or DJ Moore, Justin Fields to DJ Moore connections here. Um, one of the plays where I'll, I'll see the grading once PFF has a grading on this, but they also might not be as high on fields because I'm not sure whether or not the what ended up being the biggest EPA player of the game which was almost all run after the catch on that more third and two touchdown. The cornerback jumped the route and was there. It was just the pass was high. Now, did Fields purposefully throw it high to go over 
the defensive back, which could have otherwise been a pick six. I don't know, but that seems a little risky <laughs> when you're when you're up, you know, as 30-20 on third and two to throw a pass to someone uh, where the defensive back jumps the route and then you throw it higher than the defensive back, if that's a planned strategy, seems risky. Seems very risky. So maybe a little bit of good fortune there for Fields in addition to all the big plays that happened in this game. Uh, Sam Howell, you know, not that bad, actually. 12% completion percentage over expectation. He's being asked to do a lot this season. This game might boost him even above the Chiefs as far as pass rate over expectation. Uh, number one in just pure pass rate this season. So he's being asked to do a lot. Five sacks, not great. But uh, the interception, not great. But there was also a fumble. They're actually, the most negative play was the Logan Thomas fumble after the catch. If we look at the interception, though, I, I will point out this interception with Howell, how it points to his gunslingerness, which, you know, when keeping it real, maybe goes wrong for him being such a gunslinger because, yeah, you're down 30. I mean, you're down 20 to three. So you got to take some risks. I get it. But on the particular interception that he threw, uh, which was over the middle of the field, his first and 10, the ball in your own 25, it's first and 10. You, you, you dirt an incompletion there. It's fine. You, know, you don't lose anything on the clock. It's just second and 10. You keep going. Um, it was a pass. That I think it was an 11 air yard pass. So it wasn't like he was trying to make it all back in one play and it failed. No, it was like a low-ish upside sort of throw, and it was first and 10. So a situation where you don't need to force things. Now, win probability, win probability only went down by about 4% on that one because it was so low to start off with, with the score being what it was. But for Howell, it's, again, it's a hint beyond the sacks and other things where you got to have proper kind of risk-reward calibration here. I don't mind throwing interceptions when you're down, but at least do it situationally where that reward is there you know it's risk reward even in that situation where you think well the the risk is not that high because we're going to lose anyway even in that situation first and 10 i don't like it uh i don't like that that type of decision from sam Howell. but that was the only interception he threw uh having to drop back to pass as much as he did so not not bad there uh, so I think it was okay for how I'm still, you know, as a, as a, maybe I'm going to adopt the commanders as a DC area person. Uh, they, they got some good vibes around there. Not great game last night, but, but we'll see. Uh, probably Ron Rivera is probably going to be sent packing at the end of this year. I assume, unless they sneak into the playoffs somehow. And I think Rivera is one of those things where the things that we don't see things that we can't objectively explicitly measure he's probably really good on like he's he's done it before um not like defensive philosophy or things like that but i'm just talking about more of being a leader being a manager commanding respect knowing how to organize things he probably does pretty well there the whole riverboat ron thing was always it was like when mike tomlin was going for two-point conversions that one season because they couldn't make an extra point it was more like a situational uh, I'm hot at the craps table, so I'm going to keep on rolling type of situation as opposed to having a real process in mind for for taking risks. Uh, last week, we had the two-point conversion that he probably should have done at the end of the game to win the game against the Eagles because they were going to be big underdogs going into overtime. Although they were like an inch or two away on, a, I think it was a Terry McLaurin 
or was it a Jahan Dodson catch? I don't remember what it was, but there was a big play on third down that they almost made, which almost would have put them into field goal position on their first overtime drive. Uh, but even still, I think their success rate on the two-point conversion at the end of that game would have been higher than their win probability going into overtime. So that means you, you do the two-point conversion in that circumstance because uh, there's no time left on the clock. So the other team can't come back. So we have that. And then this week, over three on fourth down decisions where they could have gained at least 1% in win probability, a total of 9.3% win probability given up on these decisions. That is a big, big, big amount. If we look at this entire game, win probability added, that would have ranked third. If you if you combine those three opportunities and you say that's like one play, the equivalent of one play, that would have been third in win probability added. Only two plays that the that the Bears made. The long um the 58 yard, the two plays in the in the first drive, honestly. The two DJ Moore third down conversions on the first drive. One was 15.6 win probability added. Another one was 11.7. That's it. If you, like that's the type of win probability you're giving up, like the equivalent of let's say a 35 yard passing game, which is a huge play, right? Giving it up, you didn't make that sort of win probability. You know that you gave it up by not going these three times, and this is in the first, second, and third quarter. Also, that's the problem. That's why we need models. That's why we need to have a decision making process. That is not just an intuitive process. We focus so much on these end game decisions. People get so upset sometimes by end game decisions when the amount of win probability that was lost isn't really that high sometimes on these. But we all can intuitively think about it much better. It's much easier to, to think about it with our intuition. So therefore, we get all upset about it. Now, the three opportunities that I'm talking about here. Uh, let's look it up. First quarter, fourth and two from their own 33-yard line. Not a traditional situation, but at that point, they were down seven points. It's a fourth and two. It's a makeable fourth down. That was about 2% win probability. They gave up with a punt there. And then two other times from the Chicago 13 and from the Chicago 33, which are not really in that dead zone where the field goal percentage is super high and but your chances of getting to the end zone are not as high so like the 13 is close enough the 33 is far enough away where we're talking about a 50 plus yard field goal there um four yards to go from the 33 two yards to go from the 13 uh down 16 and 17 points respectively in those two different situations two field goals there um the 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 boost in the decision would have been 3.8% one time and 3.5% another time. You know, give yourself a chance. And again, those are ones that came in the, let's see, what quarter did these come in? Second quarter was the one from the 33-yard line and the third quarter from the 13-yard line. Now, near the end of the third quarter, I guess there were about three minutes and change left in the third quarter. You think it would set in to Ron at that point, 16 point? Differential, fourth and two, 13-yard line. That one seems like an intuitive one that he should have been able to, you know, go for. Uh, the second quarter one from your own 33, I mean, from the 33, that one would have been a little bit more difficult, but 
with four yards to go, but I still think he should be able to figure that one out. Um, and then, of course, he does go for it when the game's basically over. There's 39 seconds left. They're down by 17 points. You know, it's fourth and 18. <laughs> and he's like, so I love these guys. They don't go for it on fourth and two, fourth and four. Uh, they don't come back, and then they're going for it fourth and 18 when the win probability is, you know, almost negative. Um. Anyway. So that that's Ron. Bad. No riverboat. No credit. Not giving Ron any credit on on that one here. Okay. So I'm going to get into week five. If you have questions on anything week five, you can post Q and A in the comments here. If you have anything you want to ask about week five, uh, but before I get into it, I'm going to talk because I'm going to talk about my numbers, my power ranking type numbers versus what the market lines are for this week. But I want to have a little spiel here about power rankings, projections, everything that goes into it, okay? And why my numbers may look nonsensical to some people, but in reality, the process behind it is, in my opinion, superior, and I think it's kind of unquestionably superior um, behind how most people do it. So everything is about rankings. People are like obsessed about rankings. I even put out the rankings out there. People see the rankings and they freak out. Now, more important are the numbers behind the rankings. So you can call them a power rating. I think I've called them sometimes. You can call them team strength, number, whatever you want to call them. Basically, what we're talking about here is um, assumed point differential versus an average team on a neutral field. That's the, the number. That's the holy grail type of number. That's the number if you see Ben Baldwin when he pulls up what InPredict does, there's a site called InPredict where they look at the next two weeks worth of betting lines and they derive those numbers. What the betting lines are saying as far as the that exact number, the expected point differential versus an average team on a neutral field, uh, bringing together all the different uh, all the different numbers and all the different combinations of teams playing against each other and then working back to get to those numbers. So that's the number that I'm looking at when I have these rankings. So when teams are moving up and down, especially in the thicker part of the distribution, which is pretty thick, it's pretty big. We're talking about anywhere from about, I don't know, I would say right now, actually, let me bring it up just so I can speak about this somewhat intelligently. So I would say right now, if you're looking at the, team strength type of numbers the bills for me are in a tier of their own at number one okay then we have the dolphins and kind of you can go almost all the way down to hmm, i don't know it's kind of like dolphins and 49ers ish in the next sort of tier but not nearly as big of a teardrop after this as there was from Buffalo. Like Buffalo is kind of like way out in, in front. Um, then you go down a little bit and it's like Dallas, Kansas City, and Philly are all pretty close to each other. Dallas and Kansas City closer, Philly a little bit more of a gap because they haven't been playing so well so far this year. And they had a really, really easy schedule last year. And I've been a little bit lower on them generally. So... But if you think about those top six teams in the NFL, those are pretty solid. Like if someone's going to fall out 
of the of that top six or someone's going to move into that top six, like that is a big move in the rankings. Now, looking at teams seven through, I don't know, about 13, there's not a huge gaps going on there. Cleveland actually has a decent lock on seven right now. Um, and then Detroit is next. I have the Rams pretty high. Maybe I'm too high on the Rams, but you know, Stafford's kind of been killing this year. Uh, Baltimore, so it's kind of not a huge difference there. And then even if you could start to sort all the way through, I don't know, like in the mid twenties, there's not a huge difference between these teams. I mean, if teams move up or down, like a full point by these assumptions, you can move five, six, seven spots sometimes in the ranking. So people get very caught up in ranking movements because, well, whatever, this is what we're publishing. This is what I'm putting out there too sometimes also, in addition to my other information, that people get very, very caught on. They say, how could a team move, you know, six spots in one week or something of that nature? Yeah, it seems extreme, but we're talking about a point difference in what, how we're viewing the team versus an average team on a neutral field can have a movement like that in the thick part of the distribution. So that's number one when you're thinking about our rankings, what to think about. The second thing to think about, and this goes beyond the the, the obvious stuff where power rankings are, are bad generally because teams just look at records and they're just kind of like posting a rank ordering of teams by win-loss record. That's, of course, bad. But the other bad thing about it is when, when a lot of people look at their power rankings and when they're doing them, they're going to say, here's last week's power rankings. Something happened in this week. Based upon this result from this week and this week only, now I'm going to make some movements to the power rankings. Now, so sometimes I can have nonsensical movements in the power rankings. In other words, I could have a team move up when they didn't look necessarily great this week or a team move down when they did look better this week for other reasons. And one of the reasons that you have to be accounting for is strength of schedule in the past. And people don't really like when people don't have appreciation for variance and the fact that things go up and down, uh, people aren't going to have enough appreciation for the fact that when we get new information about a team. So let's say in last week, in week four, we got new information about every single team. Well, that affects. That changes our opinion on how. On that team as a strength of schedule opponent in previous weeks. Now, you might look at, like, for instance, the Bears. Let's just talk about them because they were they were on last night. They've had two good offensive games in a row. You might say that this is a function of playing bad defenses or they turn things around. People love those narratives. I'm sure if the Bears go and win another game, everyone's going to go back and, you know, try to do now interviews to figure out how do they turn things around on the offense? And then they'll attribute it to all these different things. Um, and some of that can be true that there is a definitive moment of turning around. Some of it can also be, you know what, maybe the offense was a bit better than we thought even in the past and the defense performed pretty well. So like we should up our strength assumption for the bears in weeks one through three for that bears offense with the new data that we have, even, even if they didn't perform well in those first three weeks, some portion of what we know about the bears now and their ability to be a functional offense means there's some portion of that where the defenses now should get more credit than we gave them back then for beating the bears or holding down the bears defense bears offense. Um, now, 
So when you're going into the past and you're adjusting your effects for previous weeks, that also has an effect on your power rankings. So you're not just looking at the last week, making adjustments based upon what happened the last week. What happened in the last week affects your assessment of prior weeks, which can which then feed forward into your go forward projections and assessments. Does that make sense? Or did I just uh, <laughs> or did I just get a little to it? So anyway, that's one thing that I'll just mention out there. If we want to be a little bit smarter with how we're thinking about this in fandom. It's not just a week-by-week basis. We don't just say Team A won last week, so therefore they have to go up. And they won by a certain convincing amount, so therefore they have to go up by a certain convincing amount. Um, You know, Obviously, I have the adjusted scores. I have other stuff which helps contextualize like how convincing it was, which is going to differ from a lot of people's opinions. But on top of that, we also adjust our strength of schedule measures from previous weeks, which affects our team's strength measures from previous weeks. Now, those previous weeks are also decayed as we move along. So we give less credit to those previous weeks as we move along versus most recent weeks, but they still matter. How things happen in the past still matters. We don't just turn the page on a season and say, you know, now the Bears offense will be great going forward because they had a couple of great weeks versus being bad before. No, it's a mix. It's a mix with a little bit more pointing towards the Bears offense the last couple of weeks, also recognizing they were very low success rate last. You know, they had about a 15th percentile type of success rate. It was, you know, 30 something percent, but percentile it's in the 15th is sort of percentile. So not great success rate, just big plays. Anyway, we, we take all that in consideration and that's why my numbers can be a little bit weird for, for some people. Uh, okay. Let's get to what I'm looking at this week for the numbers. Uh, I don't have a ton of like injury adjustments in here for quarterbacks and other stuff. I think everyone's looking okay. We'll see Stafford. We'll see, uh, I guess Kenny Pickett. I think he's going to go. But anyway, this is what my numbers are telling me. You tell me if I'm crazy. Um, A little late on this, but I did have the Bears as being about three points better than what the the line was last night. Uh, if it was, it was six points, really? Well, that seems pretty big for the for the old commandos. So, um, sorry. Sorry, I didn't tell you about that, that one in time. Okay, let's, let's get through it. First, Buffalo. My, I'm hugely high on Buffalo. Five and a half point favorites, according to this. Now, again, check your local book here. Five and a half point favorites at home. I'm low on Jacksonville. I'm high on Buffalo. So this is a big one where I like Buffalo here to be about eight-ish points better than the Jags. I mean, I do think the Jags have had a lot of bad luck when it comes to toes not getting in things like that that have almost been good plays but the defense has also not been great outside of holding down the chiefs and the chiefs have not really looked good this year so i mean they held down the falcons but the falcons stink so i'm all about the bills i'm all about this bill's life i think everyone else is getting on board i've had them at the top of the power rankings for the last couple of weeks now and then always second in the power rankings to the chiefs even before that so I'm a little bit ahead of the curve on the Bills here. Maybe I'm too far ahead of the curve, though, here, saying they look good, even as five-and-a-half-point favorites in this one. Uh, another game that jumps out. And I don't like this one. <laughs> but sometimes you got to plug your nose, I guess. Uh, you really got to plug your nose in this one. The Detroit Lions are 10-point favorites at home. No one in their right mind would want to bet on the Carolina Panthers here. Bryce Young, I think he's dead last or second to last in EPA per play this season. 
And he's not really getting a lot of positive adjustments in my luck adjusted EPA per play. Zero drops charted by FTN data for Carolina receivers when um, uh, targeted by Bryce Young. So he hasn't even gotten unlucky there. He's not stretching the field. He's kind of like, I can see why the Panthers are maybe a bit overrated by my numbers because their success rate has been much better relative to their EPA per play because they have like no upside in what they're doing. But I still see 10 points as a lot in this one. That's a big number. I know it's at home, but you're also talking about, a, a, you know, a few key numbers that you're all getting through there. Uh, maybe if you find 10 and a half, I could be really motivated to go for this. But hey, I like the Panthers. No one likes it. But again, I'm going to have a lot of picks where you're just holding your nose and going for it. Uh, next, the Colts. It, my numbers like the Colts as two and a half point dogs. I don't know. Two and a half is not great, though. So even though it's a four point, I have it as more being they should be like one and a half point favorites. I guess you're between the threes there. So not a whole lot there. But if you can find three, I think that's interesting. Um, there's another one. This is another huge plug the nose while you're pushing the button type of situation here. And that is the Pittsburgh Steelers as four and a half point dogs at home against the Ravens. My numbers are low on the Ravens. That's what it comes down to. Still somewhat high on the Steelers, where maybe I was too high on them going into the year. But I just think it's one of those things where the Steelers offense can't continue to be this bad. And the Ravens offense has not really been as good as the numbers have been. Last week, they only had four scoring drives on 12 drives. Two of them were touchdown drives from the 10-yard line and the 38-yard line. You know, probably not quite as, as good as we thought their performance was against the Browns last week. Um, I have this one as being Baltimore more like a one-point-ish sort of favorite. They're four and a half. So, again, this is another dirty, dirty, dirty number here. Um I don't know if you really like the Rams. If you think Cooper Cups can make a difference, maybe they're slightly, they look slightly okay as four point dogs at home to the Eagles. And that's basically it so far this year. I'm not sure if anything jumps out as being stuff that like highly injury affected sort of things, but those would be the games that I'm looking at just to give a little bit more context on some of these other games that are going on here. Um, you might think the Giants is 12 and a half point dogs. In Miami is interesting. Eh, I have them. Uh, I have this as an eleven-point differential between the teams, so not not too much there. Um, what are some other big and interesting numbers? Cincinnati. This is a really interesting one. Three-point favorite, so they do get the three. I'd be interested to see if you can get three and a half or two and a half here in any way. In Arizona. I don't know. I just feel like we're going to get Cincinnati turn a corner week pretty soon. My numbers maybe slightly lean towards Arizona because Josh Dobbs has actually been like legitimately good this year by EPA. Uh, he's also gotten lucky. I think he has eight turnover worthy throws with zero interceptions according to um, FTN data. So that's a little, little, little luck there. Um, but I don't know. I, again, this is one where Cincinnati's fallen out of the top couple tiers of teams they're the only team to have to have fallen out from the teams that would have been there at the beginning of the year for most people but i haven't had them fall out a ton i, I got them at 12 right now i don't know where other people have them in their in their power rankings but i have them um between you know kind of like baltimore and the seahawks most other people probably have the seahawks or the chargers higher right now 
for the Jags higher. Definitely have the Jags. Well, I don't know if they definitely have the Jags, but they definitely have the Chargers, I would say, higher. And the Seahawks higher. Uh, I still don't yet. I still think there's some chance. Like, Joe Burrow just can't be completely broken, right? This calf thing's got to be healing up a bit. Uh, it's got to get a little bit more mobility. And, you know, Arizona's been plucky this year, but uh, I, I wouldn't risk anything on that one if, you, if anyone thinks that's interesting where that number is. Uh, Atlanta versus Houston. I'm interested in this one a little bit because I have Houston being a better team. Atlanta, one and a half point favorite, but, you know, it's between the threes sort of thing, so it's not that interesting there. Um, I don't know. I'm so low on Desmond Ritter, but I also think that the Texans have been playing a bit better than you think. So I think that one's an that's a, that's going to be at least an interesting game. I watched most of actually I haven't watched the Texans. I watched the Texans game from a couple of weeks ago. I haven't watched the most recent game. Um, I thought that this is my you know very bad film watching thing. I thought CJ Stroud has, has looked pretty good, but he hasn't been under like immense pressure. I don't think. I know like pressures you mark him down as a pressure or not. You don't really know what that means. It's been great numbers wise under pressure. Uh, I haven't seen a mess pressure there. I will say about the Colts, and maybe why I don't believe my number a little bit is I'm I'm kind of skeptical of Richardson. Very low success rate, low completion percentage. He's made some amazing plays. But the thing is, I'm watching this game last week against the Rams. He was 11 of 25. A lot of throws down the field. So low low um, completion percentage is, is somewhat expected. At the same time, he's missing a lot of gimme throws. And then he's making some absolutely insane throws where his feet are just not set. He doesn't really set his feet well, um, but he's making some insane throws. I mean, he made two, three, four completions that I thought had no chance when they were leaving his hand. Um, and that was to get to 11 completions out of 25. He had to do that. So I don't know. I'm a little skeptical on them. So I remember I mentioned that earlier as one. I'd probably just lay off of that one in particular. That's my very uh, non uh, non-expert uh, film opinion on that. All right, let's get to see. I don't think we have many comments here. Maybe we're going a little too early on a Friday. Uh, let's see what we got here. We got a uh, comment here says, summarizing sacrifice potential for scoring winning across a game via bad coaching decisions by mathematically equivalent, more obvious single events might illustrate. Um, summarizing, so a better illustration than what I'm saying. By mathematically equivalent, obvious single events might might illustrate. Yeah, I mean, that's it's not a mathematically equivalent single event, I guess, when I was trying to compare them to big plays down the field. But you're right. That's what I'm trying to do to give people an idea of how big of a deal these decisions are. What you can also do, what I, I don't know if people believe these numbers or not. That's the problem. But you can also do is say, when you have non-quarterbacks who are out for the week, Let's say you have a cluster of injuries in the offensive line. Let's take a look to see how the money line on that game moves. It might not move at all. It might move a little bit. Let's figure out what the equivalent win probability is. And then you could also put it in that sort of context for people. You could say, not going for these first downs, you're losing as much win probability as having like three major non-quarterback injuries in this game. Highly significant, big deal, you know? So it's one of those things where even if the models are wrong, it's such a big number once you get up near 10%, something like that, that the models have to be very, very, very wrong 
The models have to be missing all kinds of context. Um, and I think generally the models are probably going to be better than decision-making for coaches who we know are biased towards the traditional thing of not going for it. We don't see a, 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 a normal distribution around the model output where coaches are being more aggressive sometimes when they, when they have context telling them to be more aggressive and they're being less aggressive other times, equal amount of times when they're, when the context is telling them not to be aggressive. No, they're kind of like skewing towards the, the least aggressive thing all the time. All right. I'm going to wrap it up uh, here. I'll tune back in on Monday and Friday, have all of your advanced reviews in this week. Uh, hit me up. If you have any questions, of anything else, uh, questions or ideas you want me to cover in future podcasts or writing posts. Otherwise, I'll be talking to everyone on Monday morning. Thanks so much for tuning in.